So welcome all. Um, I'm your host, Anton. We have a, a very special guest with us today. So um, I'd like to welcome Dr. Nigel Armark from MMU. He's a lecturer in psychology. Um, welcome to the show, Nigel. Hi, Anton. Thanks very much. No problem. Thank you for coming on the show, as it were. Um, yeah, so, so today we are entering the fray and trying to engage with, with the idea of co-production. Um, I intentionally put this one, obviously, on, on, on yourself because, well, it is such a, it's one of those huge ideas that I feel isn't, isn't maybe as big in the commons in, in sort of public awareness as it should be. Um, it's kind of like one of those biggest ideas uh, that maybe hasn't been heard of um, and kind of mm. needs, needs to be expanded far beyond just the social sciences to the actual public, you know, public awareness. So, um, yeah. I, so if you don't mind, would you mind maybe giving you, you know, sort of giving us a little bit of, of, of an intro, Nigel, as to who as to who you are and what what you know what you're about, if that makes sense? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I, I also hadn't heard of co-production really until about four or five years ago, hmm. and I'd worked in um, various jobs like in the public sector, like social services and the probation service, and always realised that uh, we weren't doing uh we weren't serving communities as best we could in fact we were responding to like to austerity and the different competing you know the different political agendas so we were kind of like the servants of the state rather than the servants of the people mm. and um yeah about five years ago when there was some changes in the homelessness sector in manchester around co-production and a PhD scholarship came up about that. That's when I started to hear and and learn more about uh, co-production as a working method. And that's what I ended up doing. I ended up doing my, my PhD about co-production in the public sector, uh, specifically related to homelessness services, which I think are like the, the the, you know, the, the, the extreme end of, of, of where some of the issues of co-production, uh, they're the ideal testing ground for co-production, really. You know, it's extreme marginalization and it's uh, an organization, you know, trying to be inclusive. So it's a good place to see how much it works and what it can achieve. So, oh, okay. yeah, I did, did that project for about three years and um, I'm just coming out of that at the moment. Okay, so I mean, so so you you mentioned that well, you had that your sort of like work working background was that kind of like um what like like social work type thing or like like, like the prison service? What 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 area exactly did you used to work in then? That kind of informs yeah, your interest. A, a probation officer uh, for about ten years and um, and did generally did offending behaviour programs in uh, that in that job and. It was quite, it was, you know, it was group work based. So it was people coming in to the office, working together, you know, learning skills, uh, addressing their cognitive distortions as, as it was described in the manual. So it was all about, yeah, the, the problem it felt, it was all about changing the individual to cope with a system. And uh, from that job, I went to a, uh, another like a, uh, a family intervention service where we looked at trying to um, change how services work with families and 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 we we're calling it systems change at the time so trying to 
make it more of a wraparound approach, you know, like rather than just trying, rather than treating people like numbers, how can different agencies work more inclusively with families with complex needs? Mm. I can so kind of, trying I can to kind see you traveling there. I can sort of see you sort of traveling from that, well, sort of seeing the problems with kind of like, um, you know, like uh, sort of pathologizing the individual as the, as the as the kind of disease or the problem sort of, and it's starting to sort of appreciate and move into the actual structural problems, which is which I, I can see as how you maybe sort of got led into co-production and things like that as well, which is quite interesting. Definitely, um, yeah, yeah. It was. I always used to like going on training in the probation service with, and I always thought I'd really learn something quite powerful, like anger management training. I thought, oh, this would be great, and then I realised you're not learning anything other than trying to change your thoughts, which is just really hard work. <laughs> um, and there are a lot of reasons why people are understandably angry in society with, with oppression. Um, I think one of the, the best courses was understanding about domestic violence and, the, and you know, the structural changes that are needed to address issues like that, patriarchy, that all the kind of, yeah, that kind of stuff was... Um, yeah, it was really interesting changing the systems. Okay, well, I, th- I think I think you've I think you've laid the scene there pretty well. Now's the now's the toughie. What what is co-production, Nigel? Mm. <laughs> roll roll okay. up the sleeves, as it were. Yeah. So, I'd say a definition for co-production is always going to be pretty abstract. You've got the combination of regular producers, who would be an organisation, you know, the council and non-regular producers, so they would be community members or marginalised community groups, mm. coming together on an equal footing to uh, design, deliver, and evaluate and change services. So it's, it's broadly speaking, turning the hierarchical approach to delivering public services or to delivering research on its head. It's, it, it's sure interesting. Answer. No, no, it, 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 it's, a, it's a pretty good one, to be fair. Uh, I couldn't do any better. Uh, it, it, it's interesting because like, you can kind of see right, why, why these institutions might give you some resistance <laughs> to, to, to this kind of, of sort of process, of, this process of kind of like devolving their, their, their power a little bit. Um, well, yeah, interesting that there's, but it's normally institutions who lead this. Um, so institution-led co-production is the typical thing that we see and and within that there's a lot of questions of of how deep is this power sharing going because yeah like you said that they might be resistant to it so if they're setting it up they're pretty much designing the board game they're they're designing which bits of power to share. And you've always got to be quite suspicious of people in power who are saying they're sharing power because people in power never really like to give it away. Not, not usually, though. <laughs> yeah, in fact, what I found is people in power, they say that they're co-producing more than the marginalised community groups say that they're co-producing. <laughs> so, yeah. So well, that's, that's where things can that's where things can go wrong. Yeah, I, I, I mean, can I just ask because you because know, you know because I'm, I'm relatively new to this, this idea as well. What what's kind of like the difference between like co-production and your typical kind of like cooperative or something, right? Um, you know, in terms of like an organisation, or is it, is it the same sort of thing? 
Oh, good question. Yeah. So, okay. So that that definition of co-production is was a really broad one because I think co-production is like a, a hyponym or, or an umbrella term that mm. that could include like one of many different approaches. So a cooperative would could be a great example of it. Um, and there's one there's one example I think called the Keyring Project, uh, who are disability services who have who call it co-production, but also call it a cooperative. And they're pretty like pretty much like a, a membership-based organization mm. where service users could also sit on the board, uh, be peer mentors, and there's a really natural blurring of the boundaries between a worker and a and a volunteer or a service user. So yeah, I would say that's the confusing thing about co-production is it's come along as a bit of a new thing, bit of a maybe ever since new labor, um, there's been a bit of a resurgence of it, and it's used to talk about a lot of different other things as well. So another one could be, uh, you know, citizens' juries, or they talked about that a lot with Brexit, or participatory budgeting. So where, say, Hume in Manchester would have a say in what their local council uh, tax was spent on. So you could say that all those mechanisms could be co-production as well. So yeah, it could it could mm. be it could be a lot of different things. I think and there's there's a similarity with personalization. So that's where, where service users uh, get to decide what their service user budget's spent on. So some people say that could be co-production as well, but other people disagree. Yeah, because it, it's interesting because I've kind of, well, I think anyway that like, obviously there's, there's kind of a quite maybe a tight definition of, of you know, co-production. And then there's obviously the, the much kind of wider spectrum kind of view of it. And I think in a, in a sort of diluted form, it's kind of sort of, percolated down into most of the, of the social sciences. So, you know, you know, we, we, we kind of mentioned power briefly before, right? And mm. um, it kind of reminded me of the fact that like in, in, in psychology, obviously like there kind of used to be this like imaginary like division between the, you know, the one, you know, the sort of the, the one doing the experiment and the, you know, obviously the, you know, volunteer quote, right? And, you know, they, 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 they'd have this lab coat and clipboard and, you know, they'd be the point of authority and you'd just be the source of information. Whereas you wouldn't dream of that now, you know, whereas now, you know, in, in pretty much in all the research where there's humans involved, they are to a much higher, higher degree involved. And I would say most, especially with homelessness research, it's kind of, it's moving towards peer led sort of stuff anyway, where, where they're directly involved in the actual research process. And I, and I think that, that that is down to these sorts of ideas kind of like filtering through, you know, uh, not, I'm not sure if you if you kind of agreed, kind of like renegotiating those old power dynamics. Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. It's definitely slow, though, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's never slow. as fast as you like. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's an important change, I think. Um, but yeah, it still feels like it's quite new as well, especially in uh, how how public sector agencies work, and and I'd probably say our research works as well. So there could be like a really participate like before co-production, there was participatory working. So there could be a really participatory research project, but it's variable the extent to which the university changes its structure 
to do research generally. So it's more likely to be the exception than the rule, I'd, I'd say. Mm. Yeah, a really good co-produce bit of work. Um, well, definitely be the exception. Yeah, because <sighs> yeah, it, 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 it kind of gets more complicated when you start, start thinking about how it's used in terms of changing structures and stuff. Um, gets a bit more mm. ambiguous. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe maybe you could talk a bit about well, well, I suppose the the kind of example that you talk about in your work, and um, you know, the one that you're involved in with the Manchester, you know, homelessness partnership, um, and that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of like co co production process that kind of happened there. That that, that seemed really interesting. Yeah. So um, so in 2017, there in in response to the um, tent protests across the city. They developed a charter of rights for uh, people who faced homelessness to have a voice in determining their own solutions to homelessness. So that could be through personalization, homelessness in general, and that would be co-production. So, yeah, I became in, involved at the start of that and looked at about uh, three different projects where they're working co-productively together. I think the, the one of the big issues in one of those projects was about defining what co-production is. And it was overwhelmingly defined in through the eyes of people who faced homelessness as systems change and yeah, total total overhaul in terms of um, things like welfare rights and uh, rights to housing, and I think what that I think that surprised the homelessness sector as a system because it was beyond what they could leg legitimately respond to with their powers. Um, they were able to work like a third sector, a charity could work really inclusively within their own organization, but they couldn't respond to those legitimate uh, issues raised by, um, by experts with experience of homelessness. And so that, that, I mean, that really showed me that people think like people rather than workers, people who are experiencing hardship like we all do, we think in terms of what's important to us, not in terms of what's achievable by the organization we're working with. So yeah, what, what we found was that the organizations were limited to their tightly defined um, remits by the government. And, um, and the problem is when you're entering into a co-productive relationship with people who've already been marginalized and their legitimate views you can't respond to them, then that's kind of, that's re-marginalizing uh, someone. You know, it's inviting them to the co-production table and then saying, we can't do what you say. You know, there's no, there's not much point inviting them in the first place sometimes. Mm, so it's kind of almost just sort of paying sort of lip service to the kind of co-production method, but not really. Yeah, and that's that's looking at a, at a, at a global level. I mean, and the, People definitely weren't paying lip service to um, to people when they worked directly with them, and yeah. there have been a lot of really important um, relationships built up over, over that time. So it, it made me think in terms of that, 
the changes we, people are talking about or thinking about with system change are definitely long-term and it's and that this is kind of the seedbed of, of future work so i think what the important thing with co-production is there has to be a long-term commitment to to those relationships mm, okay and i'm assuming that because as you kind of mentioned that that tension eight you would you would need to ensure that obviously certain kind of like structural like organizations with like sufficient power are actually involved with it you know with it to you know in a kind of honest good faith kind of way otherwise it's not it's not going to work right yeah Whoosh. yeah and and yeah so I, yeah i think in my experience was that at the beginning there's a, there's a lot of hype about co-production about what can be achieved and that that does that can fall flat over time so like you know the normal ways that organizations make decisions so we have a massive big consultation we call it a, a massive co-planning day where we all generated loads of ideas about how to respond to homelessness and ultimately it was the organizations in power who decided which of those they could implement and the effect of that was that it felt to a lot of people there that we had all these great ideas and only the easiest ones were taken forward so yeah so there can be a lot of a lot of hype and then a lot of disheartenment as going through the process yeah i can imagine the sheer amount of like frustration to kind of well again as you, as you say it is just kind of like re-marginalizing certain groups isn't it and one thing that i kind of um well like i kind of suppose attracted to me to the to, to the idea and your work you know was the idea of or i suppose in theory these these marginalized groups being like an untapped resource right like mm. it's, it's such a shame because they have they have all this you know like lived experience and and you know like knowledge of of, of the problems because they're living it on a, on a day-to-day you know basis yeah we yeah, yeah whereas it's always the ones with the distance to it that are making all those decisions yeah actually kind of like reminded me of my own work actually in terms of um or like uh or like what's called like uh, like social capital you know where people are said to have obviously their own kind of social resources right and yeah. there's there's usually that that assumption that individuals from these types of like communities and stuff tend to have less yeah. like resources right when i, I think that's bollocks i think that's that i think that's just a a, a like assumption and probably in other ways that they're, they're, they're probably more close and close knit and probably have more resources more more kind of like social like like resilience than than maybe others mm. or at least more than they would expect but it's just like another way of kind of discrediting them almost and their power yeah. to change things yeah less value the knowledge is less valued as now in mm. different spaces um that's something that that we that i that i felt and saw um, so when someone was talking about the right to social housing or being paid to be a co to be a, a co-producer rather than doing it voluntarily when their paid counterparts were getting a salary, um, they were almost kind of labelled as being ideologically unrealistic or or you know dismissed to these these wild wacky ideas. Whereas actually, what you're going to get is you're going to get the truth and you you're going to get some really clear uh answers to complex problems whereas there are a lot of solutions uh to homelessness that um that are really complex 
that do that do uh, that can be effective, but they're not really that straightforward. So I think housing first is great, but um, they're looking at a bit of a metric where they can get you know the biggest bang for their buck at the cheapest price. So it's kind of designed in a very sophisticated way. Co-production is uh, a lot a lot more basic, a lot more equal, and a lot more. Well, why is all this unfair? <laughs> why have you got three houses and I've got none? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a it's, and that's where co-production doesn't. I think one of the things is it's challenging the taken for granted that a lot of people have, like the you know neoliberal economy or or capitalist world that we that we live in. It's it's challenging stuff that people just say, oh no, this is this is the status quo. Thanks, it's just working out fine for me. Can we not? Get, get some people jobs or get them to change in a different way you know like reinforcing prejudice kind of ways so yeah, yeah i think one of the one of the ways co-production doesn't, doesn't work is is that a lot of people benefit from the status quo yeah and i, I think that that's like often missed that if if a system is obviously working really really well for you then why would you <laughs> you can't yeah. you can't at so, times so, so, it seems it seems like people are almost like like flabbergasted why there isn't that that will to change there and think well what yeah. what what incentive is this is there for for that to be the case um, yeah I, I, th I thought like another kind of i suppose like a big idea that came that i thought came out of your work about co-production was kind of like competing views of ownership i thought was, was what was quite interesting so you're like and i made it was like kind of one of the sources of of conflict so i think you mentioned it, it's kind of like the war of the commons or, or something right in, in your work you have like some people, some people kind of feel feel that these things are like a kind of like collectivist kind of like resource, right? We, you know, whether, mm. you know, whether we're talking about I don't know funding for a, a homeless budget, it could be anything really, or it could be open spaces, you know, like parks, national park, it could be anything really, whatever the point of contention is. Whereas obviously to others, it is something that they definitely can own. So it's almost like the the these various parties are bringing very different um, value, you know, sort of whole. Well, wholly different value systems to the table. And I can imagine that's a nightmare when you're trying to reach a yeah, it's Yeah, it's like it's arguing over the frames and claims to do with these things. So like how the frame through which something like homelessness or any or some other social issue is viewed through. And yeah, then what claims are made about that. Um, and the good thing about co-production is it cuts to the it cuts to the core of, of what in society isn't isn't working so I, it was the person who came up with it was in the 70s someone called Eleanor Ostrom who got the Nobel Economics Prize for her work I think it was in, in like 2008 uh, or something and she she came up with a phrase governing the commons or yeah yeah governing the commons and that's where the idea of co-production came from and she originally described it as the third way between either market dominance or state dominance. So in the 70s, it was all, uh, what was it, the Cold War stuff. It was all that kind of communism against, um, well, they called it democracy, but communism against market dominance. Um, yeah, in that time. So she came, she came up with the idea through a load of case studies from around the world, that it isn't just the binary choice. Societies have lived quite happily 
by having a community focus and communities collectively controlling what they've what they've got mm. so yeah that, that's the problem the problem is trying to squeeze co-production into our capitalist market-based system means that the market-based voices will always win in terms of frames and claims over homelessness yeah which is difficult especially when you combine that with kind of like the that kind of funding base in terms of like having to compete you know like the ones who obviously have the power the ones who are being awarded the funding for these various services so they're always yeah. being incentivized in the wrong way yeah and commissioners who are doing good things in their tightly defined roles are forced to do things like that let the market decide who's the best provider and if we're letting the market decide then we're then we're we're going for the cheapest or the best value for money or or whatever we're measuring it we're measuring change in economic terms rather than in social terms even though we feel that we're prioritizing social terms we're actually doing what's what's best for the cheapest and they call that they they, they frame that as something great as well so value for money yeah, and, and that obviously that, that problem is is far is it that's not a co production fault. <laughs> that's a much wider societal problem. Mm. Um I mean like I think one of the most like obvious examples is like the rollout of C B T nationwide. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the best therapy, but it was the cheapest. So that's what everyone's gonna get. Um it's a great it, yeah, it's a great example. Yeah. It's this is our blanket approach. It works for sixty sixty percent of the people uh, who don't have long term traumatic problems. Let's just roll it out and uh, see how much of it sticks. Yeah, yeah. That we can. Of, that we can top down approach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we can. We can fit that into twelve sessions. Um, that's great. You know, well, um, it's perfect. All your problems are solved. Yeah, and as you say, it is that. You know, it's it's that kind of uh, you know, the consequence of that kind of. Yeah, neoliberal kind of market sort of backdrop, isn't it? Kind and of yeah, I, love, I love the phrase, yeah, 12 sessions, all your problems are solved. Well, not all your problems, but all my problems are solved. We've done something. <laughs> <laughs> Move on to the next social problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm, okay. I kinda I kinda wanted to, you know, sort of end on 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 your kind of which is which is hard now because of what we talked about. Because you, because you've kind of talked about well, your you know, your work is 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 obviously talking about how we transform the entire pub, you know public sector with co-production, and we've obviously talked about the limitations of, of of how that's kind of constrained. So, what do you know? What does your vision of it look like going forward in terms of sort of solving our social problems? <laughs> yeah, oh, I went through a phase of I couldn't even say the word co-production for a while. I was calling it the C word because it was just it just felt like it was being said all the time but nothing was being done yeah. so but then i've realized that the process of working co-productively with people highlights what the social barriers or what the system barriers are to social change so and maybe and i'm sure they've been around in other forms before but yeah the the short-term vision is just getting the more getting more truth out out about it so when we're doing co-production being clearer about the limits and and being more committed to a longer term uh approach to that that can 
provide positions of power for people from marginalized groups. So there's, there's someone um, uh, called uh, Baljeet Sandhu, who, who set up an organization called The Lived Experience, where what she's interested in is getting people from marginalized community groups into positions of power in places like the public sector, because it's their, it's their perspective that will bring around this change and the more people like that are in positions of power then the more likely it's gonna it's gonna happen so um so yeah building a bedrock for a di yeah a diverse group in the public sector to uh, be in positions of power there's one guy i was working with who had a great example when they were talking about co-production in in the homeless sector and they were advertising for a new strategic manager and he'd faced homelessness himself and he went up to someone who was applying for the job and said, I've got a great idea. Why don't we job share this? You, you get half the wages, I get half the wages and, um, and we, can, we can do it together. We can just share our perspectives. And that type of thing currently is just kind of ignored or minimized or just described as, as crazy, you know, ideologically unrealistic. But it's totally possible, and um, and his perspectives were totally right. And you know, I th I think as well, you know, like if you if you involve these, you know, these these people in this process, right, like within their own communities, like you say, with these like lived lived experience, then they're actually going to feel a, a sense of shared kind of obligation and kind of you know you would think well duty, right? Like it it's kind of like if you're involved in the process, then it is part of your problem, whatever, mm. whatever the issue that you're kind of like solving. Um, and I, th I think that's kind of like the issue that is that, that we often face is these, these kind of nameless corporations or organizations that they, they don't have that like uh, proximity, I guess. And um, what I'm kind of trying, trying to get to say. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Mean, meaningful um, engagement is part of, part of, community building isn't it over over the longer term rather than you know say a french catering company being outsourced to look at security that kind of thing mm. which happens with circo yeah yeah and there's a, there's that thing as well with um i don't know i don't know that there's that like prevalent idea as well that you know i don't know that kind of like life experience is not quite as valuable as as maybe academic is um mm. Exactly, because obviously they're they're experts in their own, well, in the in their own right, right, in terms of like their own kind of like experiences. Like who 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 knows best in terms of the problems within their community than those actually having to suffer suffer them every day. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh. You're so, right. Not not everyone's got um, all. Not everyone's got all the answers to everything. Whether they're the most highly educated or the least highly educated, and mm. yeah, I think that. The edu education is, you know, there's is a bit of a red herring because there's there's a total inequality of access to all of to all of education, and um, and yet all of the best examples I've heard in co-production have been the simplest ones that have um, that have come from people who faced homelessness themselves, and they've and they've highlighted the. Uh, how the system is designed against against people who are already mar already marginalised, 
one, one guy described the homelessness sector as being like um, like something just cast out already, a place to be place to be further excluded. Why have we got a why have we got a sector that's designed to focus on the thing that we don't want to see? Why don't we have why don't we have an inclusive housing sector? Maybe we could even call it a homeliness sector. You know, that would that would bring people in. It's currently we've got a sector that's designed to shame people into I don't know. Um, well, the, the neoliberal idea would be designed to shame people into realizing that work is the root out of poverty, but we know that, that that's not the case um, because working people are living in poverty. <laughs> um, so yeah, why don't we change the sector to make it more direct rather than these, these sophisticated uh, uh, structures that are designed by well-educated people in Whitehall to just further marginalise people. I could go on. <laughs> I know, I know. But yeah, because as you previously said, it's working for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's working really well. Exactly. Um, you know, no, yeah. I, obviously, I, I, I completely agree. The the, uh, the uh, sector itself, doesn't it? I think it's often forgotten that it serves a variety of functions, not not just housing them, but also serves as a nice reminder to those who aren't, aren't homeless to be content with their circumstances. Um, yeah, you know, obviously it, it, it kind of uh, maintains an, an entire industry. Um, it, it, it allows that kind of mark, marketization of human suffering, which, which is unfortunate. But yeah, because obviously, like to me, the, 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 the two things are, 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 are quite clearly ideologically opposed. Like, is, like if, if you put a number of, you know, if you, if you, if you, you know, assign profit and, and loss, that kind of model to, yeah, to human, human suffering, that's, that, that's, that's never really going to be a solution, is it? No. Yeah. It seems, it seems, seems, seems rather obvious, but um, yeah. And um, it's been really interesting to, to, to hear, to hear these, these ideas, Nigel. Um, yeah. Oh, no very, problem. Very yeah. Thanks. It's been good to uh, maybe get a little bit off my chest. <laughs> um it's funny when you're writing about it for so long, it just kind of, it takes ages to work out what your take on it is. And then you've just written it down and, uh, and it's not, it's just friends and family who I've just been moaning to about this for a while, who uh, just kind of have heard it already. So yeah, my, I think my plan is to get, get more of a, an honest conversation of co-production out there. So this yeah. definitely helped. Yeah. I, I, I think the, the difficulty is, is definitely how wide you go, and, and in a sense, that wideness is kind of used against you almost. Because, you know, if if you if you're trying to approach a you know like an organization with a problem, you know, by widening the definition, it, it can almost just be kind of put off as flighty or silly or, oh well, that's that's yeah. far too far too much of a of a of a slippery slope. I mean, they do the same sort of, you know, sleight of hand with the the, the definition of homeless, don't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think yeah, I think I think tightening that is 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 the best way to sort of force them to come to the table in a more equal way, for sure. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, there's definitely no easy way through, but um, I think yeah, I think co-production is a vehicle to to get in those difficult conversations. Someone in Manchester described it as the elephant in the room, and you know those, those bigger arguments over who 
controls the agenda is the elephant in the room. And when, when, when it starts, everyone's nice around the table. And then after about three or four meetings, then the elephant comes out. So, so co-production is good because it definitely brings all that stuff to the fore. Mm, well, that's that's really interesting. So it, it's, it kind of has the power to kind of like, I suppose, like reveal those those implicit like hierarchies that maybe we don't. I don't. I don't know if if we're not aware of it is the right phrase. But you're right though that it's not it's not really the thing to talk about, is it? Even though it's apparently obvious to everyone involved that in any meeting it, of of any organisation, it, it's never going to be an, an equal meeting, is it? No. No, I'm trying to think of it. There was, there was a couple of examples of that. So there was, we were around the table once when someone was talking about, um, yeah, people being remunerated for their, for their voluntary partition, participation. So they've been volunteering for about a year or so in this. No one was getting, they weren't getting paid for it. And rather than trying to find a way of paying them because people didn't think there were ways of, of paying them, didn't think there was any money. What the organizational representatives were saying were, well, we're not getting paid for this either. I'm doing this in my own time, you know, I'm 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 doing this on top of a workload. <laughs> and someone said to me after the meeting, if I hear that again, I'm gonna do whatever. But you know, it's like it seemed like just another way of minimizing what the person was saying. So yeah, the elephants in, in the room are how all the other issues come up, whether it's classism or any form of discrimination or minimize, minimizing what they're saying. Yeah, there's loads of stuff that comes up in those spaces. It, there was yeah. another example where we were looking at fire safety in um, temporary accommodation places, so houses of multiple occupancy. Mm -hmm. And one guy who lived in temporary accommodation place asked about the chip pan um cookers that they could get and everyone looked really confused what he actually meant what he meant when he was telling us was that there was a chip pan amnesty a few years ago because houses of multiple occupancy and places of deprivation had the highest chances of kitchen fires and mm. fatalities as a result of that and he was asking for that and you know whether this could be done again and someone from a housing association just started joking under their breath about how we shouldn't be encouraging unhealthy food. Maybe people should be uh, encouraged to eat healthier stuff, which was oh, just an um <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. An unbelievable it's... example of, yeah, classism. But yeah, but it, again, it like illuminates really well, like how well, although although all these all these parties are meeting for the same reason, how far apart they all are. Um, yeah, yeah, I, totally. There was, yeah. uh, what was the other, so the other example is is so we're co-designing a new service that this this happened once. Um, so it's designed in a very inclusive way. So it was probably you could say it was co-designed rather than co-produced um but then when it, it then when it came to be implemented this ended up being a commission service so it's commissioned to a voluntary sector organization and and okay so what is it about this example that made me think it wasn't 
wasn't deeply co-produced. Yeah, so the stuff that people got to negotiate was like jobs in this new sector so that service users could be employed as workers and they could have an inclusive approach to that. There could be elements of personalization so service users could decide what they spent their rehabilitation budget on, that kind of thing. But what wasn't on the table was how this service could be truly produced. You know, could it be a community service done by uh, an embedded local organization? And, you know, it ended up having, to, or could it be an in-house council service where, you know, the workers might actually get decent pensions? Not, none of those options were, were up for negotiation. It was decided that it would be a commissioned out service. So, so there could be a lot of good elements of co-design, but the production of that service might uh, might serve a bigger agenda, which is you know the uh, Department of Health and Social Care's view that all services should be outsourced, that kind of thing. Yeah, so it's just just it's just a case of. Oh, I suppose it's just maximizing the amount of co of of, of co 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 production that, that that you can embed in these things, while also recognizing the the wider limitations of the, I suppose I suppose you know the this the systems that you that that you're in. But I suppose once once you engage in in conversations like that and it becomes more normalized, then I would imagine that you can start to kind of maybe work your way up a, a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think so. That that yeah, as I was saying that, I just re remembered that that is. It is part of a longer-term approach, isn't it? So, so chipping away at things to make them more inclusive is better than um, it's better than having nothing at all. And I know I know that from those future iterate iterations of, of that example will be more inclusive and um, yeah, and is working in the right direction. So there's there's a good overall trend. I suppose mm. when you when you it can be frustrating when you feel like more could have been done the first time around. Yeah, well, I mean, you you kind of mentioned that in your dissertation in terms of like the, you know, how like the civil rights movement was quite similar to like co-production in many ways, and obviously, you know, like mm. again, that 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 I imagine was incredibly frustrating, like you know, for quite similar reasons in terms of well, I imagine like to some groups, it might it might have seemed like quite a rapid process, but for those suffering it. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine they had yeah. a very, very, very different experience, you know. Yeah, um, that we. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, and still not are going going through it is not. Yeah, it doesn't feel like the success when you look back. Mm, yeah, exactly. So yes, yeah, so, yeah. So so yeah. So that, that's that's all my questions. I've, I've 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 got for you, Nigel. It's been it's been really interesting, and I, and I thank you very much for giving up your time today to 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 explain your big ideas for the world, and I uh, look forward to sharing it with my. With, with my audience no problem no yeah i'm enjoying the podcast anton i like the one about homelessness the other month as well so keep it up will do will do thanks again angel <laughs>